Attention listeners, ahead are spoilers. Hello and welcome to the Movie Trap. My name is Russell Carlson and with me is my friend and co-host, Chris Boroff. For me, God is a disease. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Oh God, this fucking movie. Uh, and with me as always, uh, my other friend and co-host, Zach Powers. Uh, I was going to do the same one, uh, so I pulled up the quotes real quick. Uh, <laughs> I think that's a, that's a first. That's a first um, time that we picked the same line. Uh, here's a quote. Maybe this is something all couples go through. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, well, on the movie trap, each of the three hosts, one of the three hosts you just met, picks a theme, and then all of the three hosts then pick a movie based on that theme. After we've watched all three movies, we then vote using a certain amount of points, plus some bonus points we earn along the way, and whichever movie wins the vote, that host gets to pick the next theme, which you will see today because we are in round three of... Chris Boroff's uh, theme of horror movies that have been recommended to you that you have not seen yet. It's been, uh, we've been teetering around. This one's a doozy though. I, uh, this one excites me um, because we've started with um, Significant Other, which was 2021. And then we did 2022's Pearl, which was the sequel to X, which was my pick. And that lands us with today, uh, Zach Powers' pick of 1981, uh, Andres Possession. It's a hard movie to find. If you have a subscription to Shudder, it's very easy to find. But other than that, it's hard to find in your standard streaming places. So best of luck to you for those of you following along at home. Before we kick it off to Zach and him try to plot out this movie, um, I am going to do a quick rundown of the points because, as I say, we will vote at the end of this episode, followed by a brief... Uh, sad but uh, necessary announcement for those of you at home. So, uh, with that in mind, Chris Boroff, you have 12 points for final voting with two bonus points to give out. Um, I have 10 points for final voting with two points to give out. And Zach Powers, you have 11 points for final voting and two points to give out. So, that is where we are today. So, Zach, who picked this movie, so good luck. So, Possession is a 1981 film. Do you guys, uh, I don't uh, remember, how do you pronounce the name? Uh, Andrzej Zalowski. 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 Um, uh, it is the story of Mark, who is some kind of spy who returns home from uh, West Berlin at the beginning of the film after a prolonged absence. They live in East. Uh, he returns home to East West Berlin from East Berlin. Uh, they live in obviously uh, Iron Curtain era uh, Germany uh, to find his wife uh, once a divorce. She uh, insists that it is necessary and uh, takes up with the child and sort of kicks Mark uh, out while taking custody of their son. Mark goes on a binge drinking spree for a few days and holes up in another apartment. And when he returns to the apartment where he lived with his family, he finds the child alone and uh, just scrounging for food, you know, uh, neglected and uh, untended to. Uh, obviously he's a bit upset by this. 
Uh, Anna says it wasn't like this all the time when she finally returns home and uh, sort of attempts to make amends briefly. But Bob wants to keep an eye. But Mark wants to keep an, uh, an eye on Bob, the child, because, uh, well, it was a bad situation. Eventually, Mark receives a call from Heinrich, who is apparently Anna's lover and is now with him after she disappears. Shortly thereafter, Mark uh, meets Bob's teacher's Helen, who is fully identical to Anna, except she has like silvery eyes, sort of silvery slight eyes. Yeah, sort of she has like different greenish hair color or something. Too. Yeah, yeah, sort of greenish, has... very a light green. Mark eventually tracks down Heinrich and Heinrich uh, beats the shit out of him. <laughs> Uh, with, with yogi moves. <laughs> yep. Um, and sort of forces him to admit that he's his sexual superior. Mark returns home. He has a fight with Anna and uh, he uh, hits her a little bit as well. And she she runs away. Um, they have another argument in which both of them cut themselves with a knife. A uh, trick uh, carving knife that you would use for a turkey. Eventually, Mark, having uh, gone to his wit's end, hires an investigator to follow Anna. And he discovers that she has a secret apartment that is sort of run down, shitty, wallpaper peeling, all that stuff, barely decorated. He weasels his way in by saying he's doing some routine maintenance. Uh, the window cracked and someone on the street complained or something. Um, but he discovers a strange gooey creature in the bathroom and Anna kills him with a broken bottle. Shortly thereafter, the boyfriend of the detective contacts Mark and uh, decides to go to the flat himself to find his now missing uh, lover, um, but only finds his corpse and uh, the creature who seems to be sort of subsuming it, kind of. And, uh, uh, kills uh, the boyfriend of the detective as well with uh, a gun that he brought with him. And Anna becomes continually more erratic. She uh, tells Mark about having a miscarriage while he was away in the subway uh, that followed a sort of strange fit uh, that she had, probably the most famous clip from this movie, uh, and says that it resulted in a nervous breakdown that sort of uh, seems to be maybe the beginning of the end of their, the beginning of their relationship troubles uh, in some regards. Uh, eventually, Heinrich also is looking for Anna. He visits Mark and is also acting extremely uh, strangely. Mark now having kind of put together that people who visit uh, Anna's secret apartment don't seem to come back, sends Heinrich there, where he uh, also discovers the strange slithering creature and uh, several body parts in her refrigerator uh, before she stabs him, uh, sort of in the arm chest area. And he runs away and calls Mark, uh, tells him he is at a bar near her apartment and he needs his help. Mark, before going there, uh, stops at the apartment where Anna is no longer there and sees the body cart parts, but the creature is missing. When he meets Heinrich at the bar, he uh, sort of needles him, seemingly taking a little bit of joy in, uh, I would say, Heinrich's pain, but eventually uh, murders him by smashing him with a toilet lid and uh, shoving his head into a toilet, uh, staging it as an accident, and uh, going back to Anna's apartment where he sets it on fire uh, and flees. When he returns home, one of Anna's friends, Margie, who's been around, a woman in a cast who seems to kind of have a thing for uh, Mark, is has, has been stabbed badly 
uh, and is bleeding from various wounds. Clearly, Anna has done this as well. She dies, uh, and he brings her body back in where Anna is, and the two have sex and agree to get rid of the body and cover up the murder. Later that night, though, Anna is found having sex with the strange creature and seemingly enjoying it a great deal. Heinrich's uh, mother uh, also calls Mark looking for him, and when he goes to meet her, she kills herself uh, by overdosing on sleeping pills. The next day, Mark uh, wanders uh, the street and is approached by several of his business partners to return to his previous work, but he uh, attempts not to. Things become incredibly fast-paced at this point and almost seemingly happen without rhyme or reason. He returns to uh, Margie's apartment. It's surrounded by police as well as some of the people he used to work with. Um, he uh, causes a major distraction uh, as somebody, presumably Anna, flees from the apartment uh, in a car, uh, but he is wounded and uh, heads to a, uh, another building where uh, Anna meets up with him. Uh, the police and other people are outside gathered around. This is now a big incident. There is an explosion. Mark has been stabbed. He had a motorbike accident. And uh, up in the top of the building with the police down below, Anna reveals that the creature has now reformed as Mark's exact doppelganger. Mark uh, is about to shoot it but the police fire up at them before they can. Both of them are hit. Anna uh, grabs the gun uh, that he was gonna use to shoot the creature and shoots herself in the back in a very bizarre way, killing herself. <laughs> and Mark uh, jumps to his death uh, down off the balcony. Uh, the creature uh, enlists the aid of a woman nearby who he seems to almost mesmerize and uh, and flees through the roof, telling the woman to take the gun and shoot down at the police. Shortly thereafter, we see the teacher, Helen, who looks just like Anna, is babysitting uh, little Bob, whom she has gotten closer with. She's performed motherly duties with Bob uh, several times throughout the movie. When the uh, doorbell rings and Bob starts yelling at her not to open the door, the silhouette of the Mark creature can be seen through the glass. Um, Bob runs upstairs and gets inside the tub, possibly drowning himself. Uh, and we see the silhouette of the Mark doppelganger uh, as uh, Helen stares into the camera with gleaming eyes. And that- and air raid sirens in the background. And air raids too. begin, sirens yeah. begin to yeah. run, run in the background. That's possession. I, uh, I uh, It's remarkable you were able to do that as a narrative. Like so yeah, much stuff happens in this that is so wacky that it is hard to yeah. always attach. Like this is happening because of this. Yeah, a lot, a lot of it is very, uh, like especially the further it goes on, the more it is just sort of a fever dream where people are behaving in incredibly bizarre and irrational ways. Uh, yeah. Well, the whole uh, movie kind of starts out in like this very fevered pace. Um, yeah. Especially the range of emotions that it pretty much starts with. You start pretty much everybody already at a nine. Uh, yeah, and, and there's scenes even early. Slow down from there. There's scenes even early on where they're like discussing their divorce and being very emotional, and then a group of children will run by, and Mark seems delighted by them just seconds after this sort of heavy conversation about his divorce. So it seems like emotions like shift and turn uh, very erratically. Um, right. I've heard this is like 
based off the director went through a really bad breakup or like a divorce. And I guess that would make sense because it's probably his emotions as he went through it. I don't know. This is, uh, it's interesting when you see someone who can actually like put together the emotion that they felt and how it was up and down and felt strange and actually communicate that to an audience. Sure, um, and credit to the performances, to the performances yeah. too. I mean, I thought both Samuel and um, yeah. I can't pronounce her name, but I thought they were really, really, is, really Isabella good. Johnny. Yeah, really, really, really good. Um, I I found that the, the funniest part for me in this movie is that it's fit so many of previous movie trap themes. Uh, we have the doppelganger <laughs> thing, right? We've got the actor playing two different roles, types twice. Mm-hmm. Um, we've got what I would argue two different movies, a movies that shift genres in the middle of yep. a movie. Um, yeah. and, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, um, I mean, I can keep I mean, going. I'm, I mean, it's just, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you a point. That makes sense. <laughs> Yay! That's funny. Yeah. And, uh, it's worth noting Isabella Johnny, uh, was in the, uh, the American remake of Les Diaboliques, which we watched mm-hmm. for this show, along with yep. Sharon Stone and Chaz Palminteri. She's really well known in Truffaut's Agnes H, I think. You know, she's, I looked through her filmography, yeah. she's worked with a lot of pretty legendary, arty European directors. Herzog, Truffaut, um, this guy. Um, yeah. Which I didn't know. Apparently, this film's been like a secret handshake among like film buffs for a while. Uh, I because, guess. yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, I, it, sure. But also, I mean, I think a lot of it is the legend that it was when it was came to the United States finally, they had cut so much out of it that an already pretty difficult to understand movie probably became incomprehensible. So I I think that that's probably why it just died on the vine as soon as it came out west. Yeah, I just I looked it up and she uh, Isabella Johnny won the con for best actress for this one. Yeah. So I guess that's probably kind of the introduction most people had to this movie is just because it won that award. But Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I could see how they would probably cut this one down pretty hard. Um, I also, it it is uh, hard to overstate how uncomfortable it is to watch the movie itself. Like the tension level in everything. Like how the cameras are set, how the people are acting, like everything about Sam Neill. Like Sam Neill is funny because usually he's a little hammy in things. But in this one, it's like clearly being used correctly. It's almost, mm. it feels almost like a, like a expressionist type performance because it's so extreme. Like there's that scene mm. where he is like rocking back and forth in the chair and it looks almost like it should be comedy, but he looks so manic and serious doing it that it's obviously more disturbing than funny. I don't know what to make of this movie. <laughs> I'm with you, brother. I really am. Like I, it, uh, it's it's sort of one of the reasons why I love doing this this podcast is because like I get to watch movies like this that I would have no other reason to watch. I don't know if I liked it or not. I really don't. Um, but I'm kind of glad I watched it just to kind of like it. It's this is what I call hard mode movie. You know what I'm saying? Like it's it's yeah. it's a hard mode movie. This is not a movie that like. You just recommend casually to friends, right? This is this is a movie yeah, that takes yeah. some it's, buckling up. It feels yeah, more like yeah, a, yeah. a somewhat academic exercise. You know you're going to be sure. watching something serious, not something sure. that's yeah. popcorn. Jimmy, who you work with down at the store, if he's like, ah, I got nothing to watch tonight. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> same, how about uh, why you got either Top Gun Maverick or Possession? <laughs> <laughs> 
I mean, yeah. I was thinking about checking out Rosario Dawson in that Ahsoka show, but sure, I mean, this Isabella <laughs> and Janney lady, she looks pretty. I'm sure this is a really fun right. movie. Yeah, you know, I was going to watch, you know, I hear Sam Neill's in that latest Jurassic Park movie. Should I watch that? Or, oh, you know, you should watch what he's been in before Jurassic Park. <laughs> if you really want to get the full context of that guy's career. Yeah, so, so that's what weird. I'm saying. The movie certainly demands heightened viewing, you know, that like... Because even, like, the socio-political aspects, it's really cool that her apartment where all the madness happens is, like, right at the goddamn wall. Yeah, uh, and obviously... Like, right at the wall. Yeah, like, it's... Possession is almost an interesting title because so much of this movie is about separation. But, I mean, I understand the possession angle, too, in that I think it's, you know, the idea that... Uh, even if you have a, this divorce from somebody who you spend a significant part of your life with, there is an aspect of yourself that does belong to that person and vice versa. But yeah, even especially, the setting Especially since the, they have a kid. Yeah, absolutely. And even the setting if the, you know, obviously the wall is a metaphor for that, uh, mm -hmm. uh, you know, separation. Yeah. Um, yeah. This seems like it's a better use of the wall than other films that i've Agreed. seen like um yeah without i think we actually watched it being without it actually yeah. being about the wall like spy yeah. who came in from the cold right i mean that that movie yeah. is about moving people in between the wall um, and like even like, like wings of desire or like suspiria the remake sure. like mm. um i really liked both of them but this one i think like more keenly it was like a disturbing split in reality uh politically and also because this guy's marriage was eating itself it seems kind of crazy yeah um, yeah, I definitely think that uh, uh, this movie feels... I mean, I know it's definitely a cult classic. There's a lot of people who... Uh, uh, I mean, we all watched it recently, and it might take some time to sort through our feelings on it, which is uh, one of the tricky things about this podcast when you talk about movies like this that are a little, you know, out there and have a lot mm -hmm. going on, and sometimes you have to take a, take a minute to, before you think about it like a, a few weeks later and are like mm -hmm. come to some some grand uh, decision but uh, obviously this is a cult classic for a lot of people people there's a lot of folks who rate this like a five star movie I think it has a lot of influence uh, on on a lot of you know sort of these these horror directors who make these surreal things like I could easily see a Lynch or a Cronenberg having watched this and and taken a lot from it. It feels like it's it almost like abstract horror. It like that that seems like it's a pretty keen thing that like definitely like a David Lynch sort of that odd surrealist horror because it it almost felt to me like the movie was so heightened and so strange mm -hmm. that I had trouble with like understanding the emotions of the story itself. Like at one point it just turned into a like a character study and like a study in like the the mania from going through a breakup rather than like an actual storyline about a monster eating people yeah like the, it felt weird because it's a it's a horror movie and there's a monster Is it? but the monster I mean, itself yeah i guess monster felt... okay horror movie and there's uh you know a series of murders yeah yeah but, that's true but i mean but i mean even yeah. in the context of like being a monster movie it feels like most of the horror like when the monster shows up it's gross and it's extreme but a lot of the ways that they're acting towards each other in this marriage and sort of making the audience potentially go through past traumas of their own watching this movie. For sure. That mm -hmm. like by the time the monster gets there, it almost felt anticlimactic to me. It was like, oh, so hmm. this is the reason that she's gone crazy. 
I didn't really need an explanation at this point. It could have just gone to the extreme and never settled into a storyline. Yeah. I mean, I think obviously with what the monster ultimately ends up being, and like there's certain lines about, uh, he talks about how he feels that when she's with Heinrich, she wishes she was at home. And when she's at home, she wishes she was with Heinrich. And I think that, you know, the monster being this obviously i think both of them have like this doppelganger of themselves that they're interested in that represents the version of that person they wish that person was and is not the monster obviously ties into the the main theme of divorce and separation and what you want out of somebody who is i mean not entirely at least yours to possess but the version of them you want them to be and that you maybe can have at least in your your own mind or or in your memory yeah right. I think i'll give you a point i think that's, that's a good point about the monster that it uh, represented yeah. sort of the wife um or at least the doppelganger crossover the fact that both of them were trying to uh do that uh this movie is a lot better with that particular metaphor than um uh, the the breakup with uh jennifer aniston and uh i can't even remember the other guy's name now uh, it, it, there's well, a thing uh, at the Vince end of that Vaughn. where they wound up <laughs> Vince Vaughn because at uh, the end of that there's like they show up and they're like oh funny to see you and then it's like they have uh, okay. significant yeah. others that look exactly like the uh, I mean uh, speaking of yeah like there's some overlap there with significant other which we also watched for this <laughs> right yeah <laughs> and not for nothing Pearl too you know there's yeah. a little bit of sure, a little bit Pearl, of uh, uh, yeah it, uh, it's almost like that thing you said with there's uh, like a weird there is a weird like, consistency horror, between horror, these horror films being about relationship problems seems to be something yeah. that is kind of yeah. a universal over time that's yeah right um and that's why because like immediately when I started watching it and thinking it's a horror movie and then where it eventually ends up, I mean, the, the Cronenberg-Lynch comparisons, I think, are undeniable. And But at the beginning, it's almost like, what if Cronenberg or David Lynch like tried to direct a John Cassavetes script because of the way the very heightened emotion of the troubled relationship and the way they just like are just monstrous to one another. It, it kind of gave me flashbacks to that. I mean, it's the I I, I want to credit the the cameraman on this one too because it's a lot of steady cam. Mm -hmm. um, and in 1981, like the technology was, I mean, it's a lot more lightweight now, but it was still pretty cool to see that in such a the fluid I, action. Yeah, it can't be overstated how hard the focus pulling had to be in that subway sequence. Right, and, and even in the first shot when he's um getting debriefed by number two or whatever. Um, you know, where it, it's that long warning across, you know, mm -hmm. and he says, I've resigned. And he says, you know, why did you resign? I'm kidding. It doesn't go like that, but you get my drift. Um, it, it does feel like the prisoner for a second there, though. Yeah, like they exactly, never come back right? to the fact that he was a spy in any meaningful way. It's just <laughs> like, right. here's yeah. all this spy shit. Okay. Have that's fun right. with the rest of the movie. It's like, okay. That's right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And hey, but we're in West Berlin too. So, you know, spy shit. So yeah. Um, I, that's what it kind of struck with me about like the, the sort of almost, the melodramatic telling of a d disillusion of a marriage and then to kind of change it to this kind of strange, I don't know, kind of alien shit coming out um, is, is very significant, very similar to significant. But I also thought of as soon as like the doppelganger showed up at the end, I thought of like, Oh, isn't this what that one, like Jake Gyllenhaal, Denny Villeneuve movie we tried to watch kind of trying to do as well. That yes. enemy movie. And yes, I, the enemy. I, I thought I that this that movie, movie probably did that a lot more successfully albeit 
probably just as ambiguous as that uh, enemy I'm gonna movie, say but... I'm gonna say not probably this movie did it successfully and <laughs> okay. en- enemy did not do that enemy it was like everything about the monster was just encapsulated by that giant spider that appeared for no goddamn reason at the end of the movie <laughs> right that's right that's right, yeah, right. <laughs> um so yeah that's why I I, I I it's one of those movies where yeah, I, I'm not sure if I liked it, but I'm glad I watched it um, because I don't think I've seen a movie like that before. I have not seen a movie like that. Seen movies try, seen movies get kind of close because even like, you know, because it even reminded me a little bit of like, what if the creature is just Mark's manifestation of his own jealousy and insecurity doesn't actually exist and he's the one killing all these people or whatever. Like that, that it's the, those kind of movies and these kind of, stories and the way they're told where it is sort of like demand so much from you the audience to pour so much of your attention and analytical chutzpah uh into digesting this movie um in a way i sort of hate movies like that because it's pretty pretentious and i'm just like you know come on guys but uh i will say this movie was interesting from beginning to end it never really bored me um it definitely disturbed my wife and the dog i was babysitting during the subway scene because they were like what on earth is happening because zach kind of brushed over with the subway scene because he's right and we should probably spend a good a little bit of time on it because it it is probably the most famous sequence in the well it probably is the most famous sequence because like i said i've never heard of this film before we watched it um so she gets off the subway and this is after we kind of get through this weird videotape that he watched this film that he watches of her in like a ballet class and it's kind of got like a black swan vibe where she's like really really intense and then kind of given like a yeah she's like abusive to her student yeah Yeah. and she addresses uh, camera directly was that a videotape that whole section kind of got a film so she was it was him watching a film strip and then uh of her teaching and then eventually she sort of directly addresses the camera and is directly addressing Mark, but obviously with things that are referencing the time and place that he's watching it and probably not the time and place it was filmed. Right. So then it cuts to her getting off a subway and walking down and she's carrying a bag of groceries and it starts, it's a roller coaster of emotion because it starts with her kind of giggling to herself and then it's a gyration. The whole thing lasts about like, I don't know, almost two minutes 30 seconds it's pretty long um and it just furiously throwing herself all around throwing stuff around gyrating you know it's it's a it's and and making these howling inhuman noises um that give you this kind of you know kind of like rosemary's baby but without being you know gross like because it's from polanski but we'll get to polanski later because apparently Anyway, because she's worked with Polanski. Crossover? She worked with Polanski back in the day. Oh, that happens. Before Rosemary's Baby. So, yeah, so it's kind of funny that the idea of demonic possession, which is what this film kind of, the title kind of makes you think that that's what's going to happen because you see the creature like, well, is that Satan or whatever? And then that scene happens and you're almost like, this is the exorcist moment. This is the, the moment where she becomes possessed. And you're sort of that. And then it kind of cuts to back to him watching stuff. Uh, it's 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 a strange thing to watch because you're you kept waiting for it to end and something to happen. And then yeah. when she finally does just sit there in a pool of milk and blood, at least I think it's milk. It's it, it's it, a little it, it, it's there's a, uh, a hard cut in the middle, like everything before then is like a I think basically an uncut shot. 
Yeah. And then it hard cuts and she's just screaming, doing like a feral animal yell. And uh, I mean, most of the movie's really uncomfortable, but that scene makes you actually like want to get up out of your chair and move away from the screen a little bit. It's a little over, over, uh, it feels like the social contract between you and the filmmaker might've gotten a little, a little thin there. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's very mm-hmm. strange. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. It's also been like, covered like a couple Zach times, Lynch, which is you know, uh, like, yeah, very, very yeah. much like Lynch. Like this one, this yeah. scene. I sh- I sent you guys this like video link. A massive attack and young fathers did a song called "Voodoo in My Blood," it was directed by somebody or other. Anyway, Rosamund Pike is in it, so it's kind of a famous person. But they basically do a reenactment of the whole like walk up thing, except without the screaming and the uh, uh, milk. There's uh, far less uh, liquids involved. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> um. So yeah, I mean, like it, and and it's uh, that's that's an intense, and it, I think I, I read somewhere um, that director said we could we we did it two takes, and I felt terrible doing two takes. I you know, but you know, you know, you need one because you're shooting on film, and if something goes wrong with the lab, then you don't have it. But he said like we used the first one and just did a second one for safety, and that's it because you can't. And, and even I like that Sam Neill and the actor and and her both said that. Uh, this is something I will never ever do again. <laughs> I'll never do a movie like yeah. this again. <laughs> I mean, it looked dangerous and painful. Like it's yeah. one of those things. Like when in that sequence, it's like I imagine like it, it, like for me, it made me nervous because I was just like, she's gonna slam her head into a wall without. That, I thought the it. same thing. Yeah, the way she was like really going for it, and like those were. Like I was looking at the walls and it's like, yeah, those are just stone ass walls. Like yeah, there is, yeah. there is nothing artificial about this. This is a stone ass subway wall, and she is flinging herself violently. I, I, I was nervous she was gonna like slam her head into, uh, yeah, into the wall so, as well. It's like some pretty intense, like brutalist architecture in the room to be like jumping around on it like a jungle gym. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I've yeah. never seen a movie make me that. That sequence is like, it's uncomfortable, sure. but it's used a lot. Like that one particularly mm. is shown a lot. And I always think it's kind of interesting that it's such an indelible image of just her swinging the eggs specifically. When the first mm-hmm. swing where she slams the eggs and they explode, for some reason, that particular image gets like freeze framed a lot and shared. Yeah, it's 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 an arresting moment because you're, you're like, what the fuck is going on? Yeah. Um, and... You, know, you don't really understand the- what the context is until she clarifies afterwards, like the miscarriage thing. But before, you don't really know what what the fuck is going on. <laughs> and then afterwards, they cut to her talking to Sam about the incident to to Mark, I guess the character right. name. And that's when she sort of reveals it's a miscarriage again in a very cryptic way, where she says, like, she miscarried Sister Faith. Faith, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. uh huh, yeah, and left uh, Sister Chance alive or, or something of that nature. Yeah, for some reason I yeah. didn't even. I, I'm a little dumb, so I just didn't pick up on it. Like so much of this was like kind of odd dialogue that I couldn't always tell. Like, is this an actual thing they're saying, or is this symbolic of something? So that See, was one of I those moments that, that I think I was a little I lost. I felt that way throughout that whole segment. That whole point of her watching it because it's kind of that whole segment where she's looking like you said directly to camera because she even does it when Mark's right there she's looking like directly to camera telling us this story or whatever and yeah it's 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 almost like it it, it feels like I don't get this but I don't think I'm supposed to get it um and it, again typically that annoys the piss out of me but uh it didn't quite annoy me this time it more 
accomplish what I think it was trying to accomplish, which is uh, confusion and dread, really. Um, because yeah. like now it made her that much more terrifying. Uh, they do a good job of really transforming her into like a pretty menacing figure. Um, you know, even yeah. though Mark is very much like terrible to her and like does not take this breakup very well at all, you know, to the point where it starts getting violent between the two. Cause that's where, to me, that's where everything in the movie changes. Once they finally, when she hits him and then he hits her back and it's like, there's this moment where it cuts cause everything's moving a lot. And that's the one moment where it like cuts right to, to Sam Neill's eyes or whatever. And that's where I felt like everything kind of changed. And this is where a part of me thinks that like a lot of this, is Mark sort of his own guilt and self-hatred sort of manifesting into this doppelganger sort of thing. Maybe it is just as a way to what he, or, or as we pointed out, this director kind of wrote this as more of a therapy piece for his own divorce that he just wanted to see his ex-wife get banged by a monster. Um, <laughs> you know, and that just made him feel better and get through the breakup easier. Uh, I guess. Who am I to does, say? Does this movie have a main character? I guess Mark kind of, Maybe I would have to say Mark. Nope, Bob. Okay. <laughs> I'm kidding. Well, just because it's one of those things. I like, mean, there's such a strange thing going on. Like, I I guess I'd assume Mark, just because it's the director, probably as an insert character. But yeah, just... I mean, I'm sure one could probably make a case for Anna being the main character. I suppose. Um, but yeah, uh, I mean, it really is pretty much a two-hander it's one of the two of them because they they, yeah. they steal most of the screen time like the third most prominent character i mean obviously is either the teacher who's also played by the same actress <laughs> or, or weird ass heinrich. heinrich yeah right that's why um, here's another theory i kind of wanted to pose to you guys considering the the whole spy thing um what if this whole what if they made the idea was to make mark go crazy um to I to come back to the force or either to make everything he did within the circus I'm gonna call it the circus um, like null and void so what if the the East Germans are the ones who kind of set up this honey trap with marks with with uh, the wife and Heimrich or whatever and this is sort of a way to kind of get at him from a sideways point of view and that's why the guy in the pink socks at the end kind of pulls up because he's a part of the whole uh, 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 like police raid in there and kind of is part of assassinating both of them. It's a thought. I don't know. I mean, uh, it is interesting because the, the pink sock guy, <laughs> like they stop and show this guy's pink socks. And it's a very interesting, <laughs> like uh, very purposefully. And it's like, why, why are we seeing this guy's pink ass socks? <laughs> <laughs> it's it, it's because of the debrief. He was talking about following a guy with pink socks. Oh right, okay. I must. Have, yep. I mean, maybe the uh, the the amount of shit, crazy shit that happened between those two. Absolutely. Times, those two Absolutely. Hey, look. You know what? And that's why you know, in a way, you do kind of have to admire a movie like this. That there's many ways to connect the dots if you want to. If you want to. Sure, um, I'll, I'll give you a point, Russell, for your various hey. uh, various possible conspiracy <laughs> interpretations. Years of reading Jean Le Carre have finally paid off. I don't, I don't, I don't particularly buy that this is a secret spy narrative, but uh... <laughs> I mean, it's funny because this this movie has caused a lot of like YouTube uh, explainers. 
like I, I just did a little Google search earlier. Just I was like, all right, let's see. Like all of the movies we do have like a couple explainers out there. This one, there's like just a plethora of like film school oh, students. Like just like oh, possessions about yep. this. <laughs> yeah, it's the right. problems of separation. It's about a divorce. It's a movie about yada yada. And it was just very funny that like there's so many different interpretations of this where it's it's clearly about a divorce. And the guy's clearly going through some stuff, but it's interesting that people could bring a lot to it because there's so much happening in the movie yeah. that you could jump from. And that that's mm-hmm. why I lean into my movie, this is a hard mode movie. Again, this is one of those movies that you would write a thesis statement on for your masters in film. Um, you know, and this would be your like case study of whatever, you know, because there's a lot to pour into. It's like Apocalypse Now or 2001. Mm-hmm. Those kind of, I'm not saying it's that good, but I'm saying it's that level of demand out of you from an audience member. Um, sure. You know, granted, in 2001 and Apocalypse Now, I will say about this movie, it's not that long, but it's a lot longer than I thought. Like, I like I remember, like, the gyration scene happens, like, kind of, there's still a lot of movie to get through once that happens. Yeah, it's like um, a good point. Yeah. Um, it's, it's a, it's it's a longer very film than I school movie. It, it feels it's, very film uh, school to me. Yeah, it's, 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 I think, just a little bit north of two hours, which, you know, I, I feel like, I mean, nowadays is maybe even not that long. It's almost, you know, sure. movies are, are just always long now. But, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. Oh, everything's know, streaming. A, everything's online. You can pause it whenever. Yeah, the, uh, I think that's how a did just like no one wanted? <laughs> no, <I'm kidding. laughs> how did uh, so you picked this one out, Zach? What do you think of this movie that was recommended to you? That is, uh, I would say, a brisk walk in the park. <laughs> it's intense. I don't know. Is this? Uh, I mean, that sounds a little like hedging into final thoughts territory. Is that where we're? Well, I guess because we do I have mean, to vote and stuff. I mean, I haven't really. I've kind of run out of stuff to say. If I'm gonna sure, if you keep want, going. Let's, I would just keep going just about how the technic, how I appreciate technically that this was made like with the steady cam and stuff. Um, very, very, very competently made. And it made me interested to watch more things by this guy. Cause apparently he had to get kicked out of Poland cause he didn't get along with the communist party there. Um, cause he made a whole other movie that had to do with like humans crashing on a planet, getting stranded the, there. Is that the devil? No, no, the, it's one that he did after that. I think it's called, like, The Rising Globe or something like that. I'm not 100% oh, sure. Oh, anyway, there's a The Silver Globe. That's it. That apparently got, like, muddled with by the Polish authorities and stuff. So I, that's, I think it's interesting that this film is... Um, this is his first English-language-spoken film. And he kept making films until he died, until 2016. Again, I had never heard of this guy. Um, never even heard of this guy. But now I, I could definitely see the Cronenberg, the Lynch influence... Um, you know, even a little bit of, um, you know, like, well, we are pretty much Cronenberg. <laughs> I mean, Cronenberg to me is the loud one on this one. Like, cause I could definitely see like Cronenberg yeah. remaking this and probably doing okay with it. There's um, a lot of body it, horror. Yeah. 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 It's a body horror John Cassavetes film. So in that respect, uh, I, I found it interesting. Will I ever watch it again? Probably not. Pro- probably not. But other than that, there are some production things that I thought were interesting that, like, um, you know, Sam Neill pretty much got in because they, originally the actress was supposed to be Judy Davis um, because he liked them in some Australian film that they saw together. But Judy Davis wasn't available, but Sam Neill still was. Um, 
And yeah, she uh, she was nominated for an Oscar for the Truffaut film. Uh, Ijwani, I'm never gonna get her name right because it's just a blank to me. Um, <laughs> she, uh, Isabella Ajani. <laughs> Ajani, yeah, right. Anyway, she was nominated for an Oscar for that Truffaut. Think of our friend so Johnny and put. Uh, there's <laughs> one Johnny. It's a Johnny. <laughs> Isabella Johnny. Um, but uh, and I, but I will say, I mean, I've never seen anything that she's done, but this was really hard on her. I got to imagine. I mean, I cannot imagine just the, and not even the 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 famous scene, like the whole movie. She is yeah. dialing it up to eleven. Yeah, you know, like, they definitely ask these actors to go for it. Right. I mean, it is that's that's hard to do for all movie, and it's like that the whole way. There is even barely any moment where they're not like that. Yeah, I mean, even the supporting cast like has to do such bizarre, like that scene where Heinrich comes to his apartment and for no discernible reason, he's just twirling the entire time during the right. conversation. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the Heinrich, the Heinrich character is sort of like a breath of maybe fresh he's, air. Cause maybe he's, he's, he's on always, drugs because he's like a he's a druggie. Yeah, definitely on well, drugs. Well, that would that would be the question. Like they say in one of the things I saw that he was supposed to be a drug dealer, but somehow I also didn't pick up on him being a drug dealer. I just saw him show up, and I'm like, there's this weird '70s pimp that is just wandering yeah. through. He brings some kind of drug for them to have up. sex. Yeah, he keeps like wagging like a thing in front of her, like a baggie and stuff. I think which it's I assume is ketamine. Cocaine. He says mm -hmm. it's the it's the it's the drug that the poet Marceau, the French poet Marceau, talks about. I looked it up at the time. I think it's ketamine. Okay, okay, okay. Um, yeah, I think the the most uh, the the easiest one who doesn't take it to eleven is uh, Heimlich's mom, right? Because she just pretty much says, "I don't want to live without him. Goodbye." And that's it. Yeah. It's the most understated anything that happens in the whole movie. She just like lays in bed and says goodbye. That's it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, but yeah, we could probably oh, get to final thoughts because we do have to vote. Yeah, um, yeah. I think this, but uh, I this one also briefly wasn't uh, someone from the movie Alien involved in this production. Like I think the creation the, of the creator. Yeah. Di yeah. Uh, the a monster. Alien. The. Yep. Yeah, the monster was he. The guy who made the monster also went on to work on Alien. So yeah, a lot of a lot of goopy. Slurpy. All right, so I guess I could uh, talk about my final thoughts. Yeah, um, yeah. As I mentioned earlier, uh, interesting movie. Probably one of the most interesting movies we've watched on this podcast. Um, it, it's it's a movie that that can't help but stick with you. Um, but as I mentioned earlier, recommend with uh, caution uh, because like this is a movie where you gotta have to. It's like a Bergman film, you know. Like you have to put on your big boy pants to to kind of watch it, you know. Like it's it's. You know, like, don't, you have to take it seriously, but you also have to kind of put yourself in a kind of analytical distance and allow the director to just full on just mess with you the whole way. Um, and it might even be a pie in the face by the end of it. You just kind of have to live with it. Um, it's, it's one of those movies. So recommend with caution. Um, if you're really interested in Sam Neill's early career, this is definitely should be up there for you because he really is a really good in it and has to do a lot his uh like Borf said he's there's a scene when he's talking to Heimlich trying to convince him to go to the monster or whatever knowing I'm assuming full well what's going to happen to Heimlich um, yeah he seems to be taking glee in taunting him, yeah so. there's this menacing look that I haven't seen since Boris favorite film with Sam Neill uh the mouth of madness <laughs> um John Carpenter <laughs> film your favorite um, yeah 
the um, <laughs> another great one, or or was that another one in outer space of Sam Neill that you love so much? Um, oh god damn it! Oh god, no! Um, yeah, the uh, yeah, Event Horizon. I, I'll think of it here in a second. That's it. That's it. Yeah, your favorite movie. You love that movie. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I would. It, it's but if you are willing to take the dive, um, and watch pretty traumatic relationship arguments and fights that sort of make it, it sort of makes Kramer versus Kramer look like a kid's movie. Um, you know, like this, the, the, not just like the body horror stuff. I'm talking like the actual, like genuine rage and terror that these two invoke out of one another before we even know there's bloodshed to be had, uh, is, is jarring, but uh, interesting to watch on film and you know was it worth it probably not but I'm glad I did it um, um, yeah I guess I'll give my final thoughts and then I'll let uh, Zach close it out since this was his pick um, I appreciate that I was able to finally see ah. this one because it has been on my supposed to watch it list for almost 20 years um, ever since I think film school uh, everybody ever talks since 9-11 Ever since 9-11, yeah. Um, the, uh, it's a strange movie. Um, I think I got exactly kind of what I expected it was going to be, uh, which was just very intense and a little bit uncomfortable nonstop. Um, Could have warned me. I, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's sort of <laughs> indelible. Like, I'm surprised that... Uh, I'm actually surprised this one wasn't forced on me by a film school teacher somehow i watched crash five times and it took me 20 years to see this once um i don't understand why this happens to people if we just take a moment outside of what i'm saying here for the people at home uh, we got to reform the uh education system that's what hmm. i'm saying that's what this movie makes me say to you um the audience uh so possession he's looks gonna great go up to the bathtub and drown himself guys he's serious let's change education um yeah i mean this okay so this movie doesn't flinch and i appreciate that because much like carlson said it is i would say kind of pretentious at times but there's something about it that is so grounded in actual um loss and sadness that it seems like it sort of transcends the sort of more kabuki level of acting that's going on um to actually remind people a little bit at least me remind me more of like previous potentially uh, toxic relationships during college or other times in life when I was young and these decisions seem like they'd be world shattering and I'm now older so it's not quite it's remembering back to try to remember something that was this tense and uncomfortable uh, this movie is definitely something that gave me that reference point of like oh yes I remember how horrifically uncomfortable it was to go through a breakup in my 20s for the first time or go through various breakups over time uh, it's interesting to me that this movie was something that they were able to encapsulate that sense and the level of sort of bizarreness that comes afterwards where you're sort of getting over the things that have happened. So sometimes you'll feel happy, sometimes you'll feel sad, and they'll often happen right back next to each other. So a lot of the times that this movie changes its moods and changes its um, tone it worked for me because I found it more acceptable as a state of mania that would be referential of the actual um theme of the movie 
So anyway, I would say it's probably a, a watch, but not with friends. Uh, this is definitely <laughs> a starchy watch. I would probably get a strong cup of coffee, watch it some evening, and uh, yeah, it's good. It's good. <laughs> it's good. It is a good movie. I just don't know if I like it. But I will before I give yeah. up. Zach, I want to give you a point for choosing this movie because again, this is why I do this. This is why I love doing this show is doing movies like this. Movies that are that I've never heard of but apparently have this really esoteric lore and is quite an experience to watch. So I'm giving you a point for that. Okay. Uh yeah, so I largely agree. Yeah, obviously this is a very this is uh, you know, we talked about like stuff like Lynch and like the Lynchian sort of uh, influence uh, this had on him and stuff. And the thing about that is uh, like, so with Lynch, for instance, I have this thing where sometimes it really works for me. And sometimes I, it just doesn't land. Like for instance, like with Twin Peaks, the return, a lot of people love that for me. It's too much. Like you, 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 you can't stretch this out for 17 hours, my man. Uh, and fill, uh, you know, 10 of them with a guy sweeping a floor. Like, eventually I, I, there's a limit. I um, wish I could give you another point for that. You're yeah, out of points. Uh, <laughs> but but uh, when it works, it works. And I think this is an example of it working because I think the internal logic of the movie, obviously, is bananas. It's off the wall. It's nowhere. But the emotional consistency, like, it, it, it lives in this place of emotion i guess chris and you both kind of said that i wish i could uh split a point between you i don't think i can unfortunately um <laughs> we went but, uh, <laughs> we but, no uh, fractions <laughs> but uh 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 yeah like um uh it like the emotional residence the the emotional place of this movie always feels genuine it's genuine like in the performance and the guy the way he directs it the way it was written like they he made something that feels honest the whole time even when it's loopy and crazy and out of its mind like it is true to what it is like it's a piece of art in that regard i guess you could say um and uh i think i i think i like it worked like it works for me i i i i think i i liked this movie and i don't know maybe in a few weeks uh when I think about it, I'll, I'll like it more. Maybe I'll decide it's like a real classic. I don't, I don't know. Maybe it's still gestating in me. Maybe it'll miscarry. Oh, jeez. Um, <laughs> but uh, uh, right now I am pro, pro this movie. It is a weird one. It's not for everybody. It's strange. It's bizarre. It's unsettling uh, often. Um, you know... It's gonna it's gonna do things you don't expect zig when when you expect it to zag i guess uh, mm -hmm. you've listened to a whole podcast about it if you haven't seen it already so maybe you know at least some of the shit that's gonna go down um <laughs> but uh yeah uh this is a unique movie uh i'll say that and uh i think i think uh, i think I, I i i think i like this movie i'm certainly glad it exists uh no matter how i feel in a few in a few months that is fair enough. And, you know, it's like, I, you know, it's sort of like I just I just finished um, uh, rereading Blood Meridian by Cormac McCarthy because he died and shit. Um, and, uh, you know, when you read like literature that's meant to have sort of sort of like kind of open ended interpretation, there's many ways to look at a gemstone. 
Um, that's kind of how I felt about this movie. That you, whatever you want to pour into this movie, this movie's almost ready for you to do that. Um, if you're willing to meet it there, <laughs> you know, like mm -hmm. that's that's sort of what I appreciate. And not that. everybody yeah, will. Is, a lot of people would no, watch this movie nope. and be like, "This is some stupid bullshit." Yep. Horse. Nope. Yeah. Like, yep. Yeah. My wife will not like it. <laughs> I can tell you that right now. Um, okay. Well, that kind of wraps up uh, Borif's theme of uh, horror movies because he, we just can't get enough of the horror movies for Chris Borif's taste. Um, we are so that wraps us up. Um, so, gentlemen, here are our points as we stand now. Chris Borup, you have 12 points for final voting. I have 12 points for final voting. And Zach, you have 13 points for final voting. Okay. So, I will... so with that in mind, Chris Borup, for significant other, what's your pointage? I gave it a two, and you can't see <laughs> okay. the artwork because right. I've got a light going. <laughs> oh, no, it, you can see it okay. You just got to forget there's a... Okay, yeah. Oh, look at go. that. Yeah, alien. you know, nice job, space, buddy. Space alien. There you well go. Yeah. yeah, there you go. That's well done. Nice job. <laughs> um, well, uh, mine's a hump of crap compared to yours, but I gave it relatively the same score. I gave significant other a one. Uh, I gave significant other a two. I will say it's not a terrible movie. It's not as good as the others, but honestly, like this round went longer than usual. I forgot several times what the other movie in the round was, and I was like, "What else did we watch for this?" Yeah, where it's like I literally I, I had to look like, up. I, I did. I had too. to look had up to look our up. podcast feed and see which movie. We watched. <laughs> so I had the exact same thing. Tabla Rasa. The movie could have been called that, and I would have believed it because I, yeah, no memory, <laughs> no memory right. of that movie. And yeah, it's probably the out of the three movies, the one that that probably had the least uh, anything to really remember. Um, mm -hmm. Anyway, it's a fine movie, but yeah, not forgettable. Clearly, um, all right, Chris Borif, sequel to X, Pearl. What do you got? Okay, for Pearl, I gave it a four, and it's okay. a rainbow and Pearl and her alligator, and the rainbow's red because there's a lot of blood in the movie. Uh, there you go. Uh, I gave Pearl. What was that? I missed the number. What was the actual number? F four. <laughs> Sorry. Four. Okay. Uh, I gave Pearl a six. Um, out of the three, I've probably found Pearl the most enjoyable to watch uh, because it was something I I didn't expect it to be considering X, and uh, I really enjoyed being a goth. That and is fair. I love those kind of stories. So yeah. It is the one I'm probably the most likely to rewatch at a given time. Um, uh, that's my turn for Pearl. Uh, I give it a, a five. Pearl's a fine, fun film for the whole family, except that last part. Yeah. Um, and uh, when you don't want to have a fine family film for your family, uh, Chris Boroff, <laughs> what did you give possession? <laughs> Okay, so I gave it a six, okay. and I started drawing a rose because I was so uncomfortable thinking about the movie, and then the rose still came out as really uncomfortable. So hmm. I think that says something about the movie, that I couldn't even draw a pretty flower after watching it. Um, I gave it a six because uh, I, I can't deny that it is a very high-quality, well-made movie. I, I do love Pearl, though. Uh, I gave it a five. Um, I can't take away the, the quality of that movie and the experience 
and clearly the way it's wormed its way into my brain. I can't deny that, but I'm going to go with what Zach said earlier. Uh, if I had to choose which of these three movies I would recommend uh, to somebody else, I'm going to go with Pearl because that one I could pretty much hit a wall and somebody will probably like it. Whereas Possession, that's more of a, that's a strategic, you know, <laughs> strike. You know, you can't just shotgun that out, you know. Yeah, I'm not doing a recommendation basis. Uh, I give Possession a six. Uh, yeah, I think this is the one that I will remember the most vividly of the three. Um, mm -hmm. And I think it has, of the three, the most potential to move up and down in my estimation uh, as a film. Uh, so I'm giving it a little bit of a benefit of the doubt on there. I, I was thinking about do, doing an even split between Pearl and, and Possession, but I think I just had to give Possession the little edge. I'm in the I, same I boat. was with you. I was with you. I decided which one I was going to give the edge for um, because, you know, like I, I, the way the math worked with 12. Um, but uh, no, no shame here to losing to possession because I thought that that, you know, that was certainly something. Okay, Zach Powers, that brings you up to the, up to the booth. So what, uh, what theme are we uh, jumping in? Uh, I want to watch a very stupid movie that I haven't seen since I was very young. And so I reverse engineered a theme for it. Okay, that fair enough. No. Fair enough. <laughs> uh, Non-musical movie, movies that have a musical moment or musical, uh, 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 so, like have a song in them. So movies that are not musicals, but there is a musical performance of some kind. Um, and uh, yes. Can they be about musicals? Sure, as long okay. as they are not themselves a musical. Like, okay. There's not a series of original songs written for it. Maybe there's a diegetic song, or maybe the character. You you guys kind of get the idea. Okay. Um, uh, you know, you're not going to submit the Little Mermaid or Little Shop of Horrors or whatever. Other it's things like, that start with little. It's like the Wicker Man could be argued to kind of fit it could. into that. W Wicker Man would f would fit, in my opinion. Because um, okay. it's a musical to me emotionally, but it's also not considered a musical <laughs> to anybody else. Correct. Yes, that's the idea. So I'm gonna. This is a movie that uh, is. I saw on TV a lot as a kid, and it has some of the most. Speaking of over top, over the top performances, it's a vanity project. Haven't seen it in ages. I've been thinking about it recently, and I thought it would be funny to discuss on the show. That movie's Hudson Hawk. Oh, <laughs> oh my wow. god. Okay. Jeez. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. You know what? I don't think I've actually seen this movie. I think I just... I think I've seen, seen it in it, uh, 20 years, if not more. Tangentially. Like, I don't think I've seen people. it in 20, 25 years. But, I don't think um, I've ever actually seen the whole thing. I remembered hearing about how badly it bombed and the fact that people said that it was going to end I, I still Hawk's remember. Career. Richard E. Grant and Sandra Bernhardt as the villains going just 11 out of 10 in this movie. I still have memories of that. Uh, I, I, I don't know what we're... We might despise the fuck out of this movie, but I think it's going to be funny to talk about. Uh, yeah. I'm all I think for it. has got Danny, Danny Aiello's in it, I think. He is, for sure. Okay. Nice. Well, he's always, he's always a gem, so hopefully this will be a good one, even if it's just for him. Yeah. <laughs> that is so sweet. All righty. Um, well... Uh, that is what we will be doing next time. We'll be starting the theme of 
musicals that are not musicals, um, or at least musical scenes in movies that are not themselves uh, a musical. Uh, but before we let you go with the next theme, but do tune in next time for Hudson Hawk. However, it will be a couple of months before we get there. Life has been busy for pretty much all three of us. Uh, you know, when you start a show during the pandemic and then pandemic life goes away, you know, you run out of time pretty quickly. Um, so as you've already noticed with our feeds, it's been pretty sporadic as far as time being able to get episodes out. Uh, so we're trying to give the decent boss man, Chris Boroff, our, <laughs> our sweet benevolent overlord, um, you know, some time to, to get work and the craziness of life, uh, sorted yeah. out. Right. So we, we don't have any hard date for the next episode. I'd say if you're subscribed, stay subscribed and it'll just pop into your feed. Maybe it'll be a month. Maybe it'll be two. Who knows? Yeah. Yeah, it's it's going to come. We will talk about Hudson Hawk. I just need to get through some of the real world stuff that's happened outside the context of this. Uh, it, not going to go into too much detail, but I have to jump on a plane. I have to do all this other stuff. I was up on top of a ladder drilling into a ceiling. All sorts of stuff is going on. Uh, I'm not moving. It's just the world's moving on, and I got to keep up with it a little bit. But that said, I am looking forward to when we come back. Yeah. So that's what we say. We don't, we're only doing this for fun. So um, don't give up on us. We won't give up on you. We promise. Um, so with that in mind, fellas, this has been a joy. I've, I gotta say, I love doing movies like this with you guys because it's a lot of fun. Um, and I'm excited to do Hudson Hawk, actually. <laughs> like, I'm really, like, I, haven't, I haven't been this excited to do a movie since Police Academy. Yeah, um, I wanted. So. I, I thought this would be. I, I, I think I'm. I think I'm. Uh, I think I'm throwing this next round, but uh, I think it'll be a fun discussion. <laughs> okay, I think it's worth, worth it. it. I think it's worth it. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. <laughs> okay. Well, I thank you so much for joining us and uh, stick with us. Also, keep commenting on us. You know, Twitter with us. Keep fight. You know, we'll we'll respond back. Um, or so follow us on threads. On us in that respect. I think we might be on yeah. threads. Maybe not. I don't Yay. know how threads works yet, but we might be. On. I don't know either. Yeah, who knows? The whole Steel Suit Media landscape's a, uh, a shit show. But we're always on YouTube, and you can always kind us there. Um, so, uh, with that being said, I have been Russell Carlson, and I have been joined by Chris Boroff. I don't have a quote from the movie, because I literally only remembered the one line. I just remember something about feel better with your masculinity. Uh, I think Heinrich said that, or something, as he shashayed, gavotted through the room. That's <laughs> and I've also been joined by Zach Powers. Uh, when I was a boy, the dog crawled under the porch to die. <laughs> that whole thing, too. And then he sees a dog floating in the river at the end. Man, yeah. this movie does a lot to you. Um, crazy, crazy movie. So, such, uh, a, such an uplifting movie. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, full of hopes and dreams. With a kid possibly drowning in a bathtub and a nuclear airstrike happening outside. Um, so that's how you should feel at the end of this podcast. But always remember in that moment of terror. The next episode that, will be more light. I promise you that's that. That's true. <laughs> that's true. But always remember also in that moment of terror that Diane Ladd is too young to play Chevy Chase's mom. It's the movie Trap Promise. It's a fact. See you later, folks. I've been giving a great deal of thought to the illogical aspects of your rendering of the events as I never knew. And if I'd only ask to have a talk with her, what if I said no? I'm sorry I used violence with you. Now I'd only employ my psychic forces to make her come to me. Oh, I'm so sorry. She's not here. Did I tell you I had a wife and a daughter? No. They live in Cincinnati. And what does that do for you? They will always remain my first family. 
Hannah will be the same, and you, and Bob in some sense. Do you have a dog? What did I have? You misuse me. It's this blocked man like you that needed to the concentration camp, who are the crusaders of every blind principle, so-called ideology. Humanity invents to strangle me. Why don't you like me? Why don't you draw on the plenitude of my love and pour it all over you like fertile rain? Okay, I like you. And I can tell you where Anna lives. Lives? Only, uh, I don't know the guy's name. It's impossible, it doesn't make sense. Why not? Because you think you've given him a supreme pleasure? You with your yin-yang balls dangling from your zen brain? Okay, maybe it does boil down to a sexual contest, in which case, I'm sure you win hands down. But is that all? I used to be afraid of you, but I don't think I am anymore. There's nothing to fear except God. Whatever that means to you. For me, God is a disease. <laughs>